Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Dr. Michael Brant Zawadzki, Senior Physician Executive at Hoke Hospital in Newport Beach, California, shares valuable insight on the impact of COVID-19 on America's mental health, now and in the future. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hoke. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. I'm honored every week to have you join me in the conversation. We explore everything on the planet. Important, not so important, fun, not so fun. Today, we're talking about mental health. And we're talking about mental health and its impact, or rather the impact of COVID-19 on our mental health. How, how has it changed our lives? What has it done to all of us? The CDC reports that some two in five Americans today struggle with issues of mental health as a result of COVID-19 in this pandemic. Worse, other studies have said as much as 70% of our population are dealing with issues like seek sleep deprivation, food and eating disorders, and much more serious items. To talk about this and get to the bottom line, and there's a lot of parts of this puzzle that we really need to talk about because we all are sharing something as a result of this pandemic in terms of our mental health. Some very serious, and we're going to get to that tonight, and some not so serious. I've asked one of Orange County's most distinguished experts in the field, Dr. Michael Brandt Zawatsky, who goes by Dr. BJ, to come on board today and talk to us about it and, and join this conversation. Let me tell you just a little bit about him as he joins us in a moment. Dr. BJ is, I'm sorry, did I say J? I meant BZ, forgive me, Dr. Brant Zawaski. He is the Senior Physician Executive at Hogue Hospital, Newport Beach, facilitating business and strategic relationships with specific clinical, overseeing, and platform for pro, uh, programmatic care that integrates specialized services with population health. Forgive my breaking that up. I'm reading his bio, and the print is really small. The man is, the man is an expert in neurology and radiology and many fields. And for purposes of full disclosure, Dr. BZ also leads the Pickup Neuroscience Center, one of the primary sponsors of this program. With that, let me say hello to Dr. BZ. Well, thanks for having me, Bruce. I really appreciate being with you today. It's an honor to have you, I, and I mean that sincerely, and forgive me for calling you Dr. BJ, but, you know, it's uh, it's the mental health problem that I'm, I'm dealing with myself. Don't worry uh, about it. I've been called much worse. Well, thank you. Anyway, let me start with a, an overview question about mental health in general. Americans have long had a problem with facing mental health issues, with dealing with it, with talking about it, with solving the problems long before COVID came along. How has that changed in recent history prior to COVID? Is it better now than it was or is it still swept away under the rug? Well, the stigma of mental health uh, disorders uh, is still with us, unfortunately. And more importantly, because it is such an underfunded aspect of healthcare delivery, it is aggravated by the fact that not enough financial resources are dedicated to it because it is not recognized how much impact mental health disorders actually have on physical health and how much they add to the cost of routine healthcare expenses. That concept is still lost on our payers and even some of our administrators. Why is that, Dr. BZ? It doesn't make any sense, especially with all we know. Well, because unfortunately, the way our uh, payment system is incentivized in healthcare, um, it uh, is st 
backed against uh, providing um, upfront, upstream health care to the brain, which has a significant impact on how people present with physical conditions to their doctors and in the emergency rooms. It's just a fact of life that that has been the way it has been for, for years. It's a, it's a matter of incentivization, and uh, we talk a lot about prevention upstream uh, to impact the downstream expense of health care, but uh, when it comes to mental health, that simply hasn't been emphasized enough. It does boggle my mind, given the fact that all Americans today are widely aware of such things as homelessness and mental health impacting the homeless and the factors of addiction, drugs, alcohol, opioids, and not only in the homeless, but in our our young people, the rise in opioid deaths across the nation and so many other factors you would think that these things would make a a very significant difference in how our payers look at the problem that you've just described but i guess not yet what will it take will covid will covid make that difference doctor well so let me back up one step uh, words matter and one of the examples uh, of why that is so is Many people hide the term mental health disorder under the term behavioral health. So uh, departments of behavioral health exist, exist at the state level, et cetera, and certainly in, in hospitals. And, and yet it's not bad behavior. This is a neurochemical problem of the brain, which is why we've housed it under the Neurosciences Institute, and we call it neurobehavioral health. Very similar to diabetes, when your pancreas doesn't produce insulin, a biochemical substance to control your blood sugar, you get diabetes. When your brain has a misbalance of certain neurochemicals, you have issues ranging from addiction to schizophrenia to anxiety and depression disorders. So simply calling it the right thing. Words do matter. It is neurobehavioral health and disorders thereof. And once people realize that it's a disease like every other, then we don't talk about folks committing suicide, but we say instead dying from suicide, which, by the way, COVID has fostered, to segue into your, into your comment. One in five of our adolescents, it's been shown by studies, have contemplated suicide during COVID. In our emergency rooms every day, we see the effects of COVID's mental anguish on our individuals that show up with overdoses, attempted suicides, successful suicides, severe anxiety disorders. Um, I still uh, practice clinically, and I can tell you there are maybe 10 or 20 people in our emergency room with shortness of breath and chest pain that are purely anxiety reactions, thinking that they have been infected by COVID. The amount of media attention that has been intentionally, I might add, intentionally uh, focused on COVID to, for the purposes of societal uh, responsibility. Unfortunately, the flip side of that has turned into individual anxiety. And it's as if the media has convinced all of us that we're all going to die if infected by COVID, whereas the reality is greatly far from that truth. The, the individual risk and impact of COVID versus the societal risk are two very different ends of the spectrum. We definitely needed to protect the healthcare system from the you know, hundreds of thousands, now millions of people that get sick with the disease, not realizing that at the individual level, we are convincing people with fear properly aimed at responsibility of wearing masks and washing our hands and isolating when sick, but that individual that individual fear has unfortunately driven too many of our folks on the edge of mental health into abnormal behavior patterns and totally abnormal fears. Really at the individual level, the risk of death from COVID is no greater than the flu, the catching the flu at the individual level for people under 65. And in kids under 18, it's actually less. In oldsters, uh, it is two to three times, maybe four times as high, but it's still well under 97% uh, of us survive. So uh, the individual fear has been magnified so much that 
many, many people have been driven over the edge. Uh, and in fact, unfortunately, too many people are staying at home with heart attacks and strokes and not coming to a very safe hospital where they can get better care and survive what is potentially a, a much higher risk of death from an illness such as uh, a stroke, a ruptured intestine, or, uh, or a heart attack. What you have just laid out is the most damning and serious comment you could have made in this conversation right at the top, because it not only speaks to the COVID disease, but it speaks to the media, it speaks to the political unrest, the cultural divide, everything that we're going through that is contributing to the so-called stress in our nation. And I am frankly amazed that we are not hearing such comments from more experts such as yourself. Why has Dr. Fauci not said what you're saying on national television since he's on every other second? Well, it's interesting you mentioned Dr. Fauci. Um, he actually wrote this in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, the most respected uh, journal, medical journal in the country, if not the world. He said this at the end of March, and I quote, because I'm looking at it right now, the overall clinical consequences of COVID-19 at the individual level, I'm adding at the individual level, may ultimately be more akin to those of a severe seasonal influenza, which has a individual fatality rate of approximately 0.1%, or a pandemic influenza similar to those in 1957 and 1968. He actually wrote that in one of the most respected journals. Now, he would never say that for the purposes of the role he plays at the national health level, which is an important role. It's the role of the utmost authority over public health. And again, separating public from individual is very important here, because at the public level, this disease is so darned infectious that it has infected uh, 10 times, I, I don't, at least, the number of people that a typical flu infects. So the cumulative numbers of deaths and hospitalizations are horrendous. And we've seen the impact of that. Almost 400,000 horrific, each one a tragedy, deaths this year in the country. That said, the reason those cumulative numbers are so horrendous is because this is a hugely more infectious disease than the flu. But at the individual level, what Fauci said in, at the end of March is very much close to the truth and ultimately will be demonstrated that that is so, that at the individual level, the risk of dying from this uh, horrendous cumulative pandemic at the individual level, that risk of death is below 1%, close to one-tenth, if not, uh, well, in kids, it's even less, but it's, let's say it's 0.1 to 0.2%. That means 99.8% chance of surviving it if you're infected. So those people, Dr. BZ, that are marching in the streets and refusing to wear a mask and denying the seriousness as you've just described, perhaps they think what you're just saying. Perhaps that is their motivation not to obey. And that seems well, to be the divide between what you're saying between the individual need and the public need as Dr. Fauci represents. So my question is, despite the fact that this horrible, horrible virus may only kill the 0.1% or whatever the, the actual number is, this country still needs to wear masks in order to prevent the spread. Would that be, would that be fair? Oh, ab absolutely. I am not suggesting for a second that people should uh, should abandon the proven, now proven. Don't forget that one of the problems we have is our experts said one thing at one time and another thing at another time, but that's what science does. It learns from its mistakes. Unfortunately, our politicians sometimes don't learn from their mistakes, but science does. And so science learned uh, and, and wasn't uh, said just for reasons of preserving uh, equipment. Remember, the World Health Organization said masks didn't work early on. They subsequently show, showed through experiments, which is what science is about, that masks do work. And so absolutely people should wear masks. And hand hygiene is critical. No question about those scientific principles. Uh, all of that is true. And if you're sick, why the heck do you leave your house and isolate yourself and then don't get other people sick. That's also part of personal social responsibility. Uh, so th the problem has been is that there hasn't been sufficient clarification of the responsibility of the individual 
versus the societal need for controlling the infection to not overwhelm our hospital systems. And yes, there are consequences of COVID that are unique, different than flu. We know about these now. We've learned about the uh, increased coagulability of the bloodstream that can damage organs differently than flu. So there are more morbid aspects of, I don't mean to equate, I don't mean to equate uh, the effects of COVID with those of flu. I'm certainly not one of those folks. What I am trying to do is balance the tremendous fear of everyone that they're going to die from COVID should they catch it uh, because of the mental health impact. The, the mental health impact of that fear has literally killed many people. We have scared, literally scared people to death. And that's an unfortunate derivative of the way the unbalanced information has been presented to the population, is my personal opinion. So I think... I, I, I'm sorry, let me interrupt you for a second. No, you go ahead. I think you're probably exactly right. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. But let me ask you this. Do you believe the media has performed a public service in being so dramatic about this? Or are, is this a scare tactic, scare tactic because the media and probably the government does not trust the intelligence of the American people to handle this without that kind of influence? Well, I hate to put subjective judgments such as trust. Uh, you know, I, I assume good intentions. The media has, has good intentions and has the intention of educating people for the benefit of society and individuals as well. Um, but I think that they have been incomplete. How's that? Not uh, that they don't trust the American public, but they have been incomplete. We all, we all know, I think, now that uh, the media doesn't necessarily prefer good news over bad news. Uh, the, the, common, the common phrase used about the media is, if it bleeds, it leads. And so that is, a, that is simply uh, a subconscious, I, I would like to think, subconscious bent uh, of the media, that something sensational is always more worthy of attention. But they also, I totally believe, honestly, want to influence the public health for uh, their own benefit. And so it's not an issue of trust or mistrust. And, and frankly, I think there are elements in our society that are so mistrustful, unrealistically and irrationally so mistrustful of the media and the government that an extra amount of emphasis uh, on the need for public health and, and personal accountability is needed uh, to counterbalance uh, some of those folks out there on the fringe who, who really uh, cannot hold two ideas in their brain at the same time. And if, as F. Scott Fitzgerald famously said, the mark of a superior intellect is to hold two opposite ideas in the brain at the same time and still retain the ability to function. The media needs to do that, needs to reassure people about the individual um, aspects of COVID while at the same time uh, educating them about the critical importance of individual responsibility. Just because the risk isn't that much greater at the individual level doesn't mean one starts doing crazy things and not wearing masks and not washing hands because so many people can get infected. Yes, most will survive, but the cumulative numbers of those that still need medical attention, about 10 to 15 percent, can overwhelm the the hospital system and they can't care for the trauma victims and the heart attack victims who should be coming to the hospital and that's not overwhelmed. So those two opposite ends of the spectrum really need to be understood and because of the, I think, intentional wish of the media to educate those elements that maybe they can't trust, uh, too much has been uh, done to scare individual people into behaving rationally. Let me ask you one more question about media before we take a break. I hear every day people say, I don't want to listen to the news anymore. I'm sick of hearing about COVID. I'm sick of hearing about COVID. It's not, they're not telling me anything. I'm not learning anything new. Are we learning anything new? Should we be paying more attention as this continues with the media? Are they still providing a public service? 
Absolutely. Uh, discussion of new findings uh, is important. For instance, we've been hearing more lately about the new strains. And um, unfortunately, again, there's a little bit too much fear being engendered around the new strains. There hasn't been any direct evidence yet that the new strains uh, are not uh, going to be taken care of by our uh, vaccines and uh, existing immunity from prior infection. Uh, the only one that perhaps uh, may show that escape, if you will, is the South African strain, which uh, only one paper has really addressed uh, using convalescent plasma uh, seems to not take care of it as well. But convalescent plasma is a mixed bag. I won't get into the technical details. I'm just saying that, that evidence is still not certain. And yet there's a lot of attention being paid to that. I think people should be aware uh, that new strains happen routinely with various uh, bugs, including the flu. That's why we have a new flu vaccine every year. But not enough attention has been paid to reassure the public that, number one, if you've been infected, your immunity lasts at least eight months. We've learned that. Uh, and so that kind of information is new information that is worth sharing with the public. Uh, it may even influence how we distribute the vaccine. Should we distribute the vaccine to someone who was infected two months ago? No, because they still have their immunity from, from the first infection. Interesting. Uh, and re and rather reserve it for those that haven't had an infection. We've infected so many people now. In L.A. County, the confirmed infections are well over a million, a million sixty-five thousand, I think, as of today. That's the confirmed infections. The CDC said for every infection that's confirmed, there are 10 unconfirmed infections. That was early in the pandemic. By today, let's say it's five. So that means five million people in Los Angeles may have been infected already. Half the county. Very, and carry at the county, it's actually county level, I'm sorry, not city, but county. So that means 5 million people, half of the county may already have antibodies. We know that at least 1 million do, but it may be as high as 5, given the CDC estimate of 10 to 1 and taking that down for, for the time that's elapsed since they said that to 5 to 1. That's speculation, but it's not irrational speculation, that's 50% of the population no longer susceptible. Could that be why the counts of hospitalizations are, are dropping, dropping ra rather fast, uh, even before the vaccine is rolled out? The uh, vaccine has been rolled out for a few weeks, but it takes six weeks to get uh, the, the high level of antibodies from a vaccine typically. So why are the counts dropping? Uh, it, it's still cold. It's still the winter. People are still gathering indoors. So, you know, I, th I think there's a lot for the, for the media to, to educate people about. And, and so it's important that they serve that function. Well, good point. I, I hope the media takes up on what you're saying. Uh, Dr. Beasy, we need to take our first break. We've got so much more to talk about. And then I want to swing our chatter back to mental health. Uh, we will be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, stay with me. I'm Bruce Cook tonight on Angels Radio with Dr. Brant Zawatsky, and we are talking mental health. We're talking COVID, and it's all about you. So don't go away. Ducks Radio AM 830, KLAA. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Dan owed an unbelievable amount of money to the IRS. I got behind on my taxes. It's a horrible feeling. 
he was in denial. And when I got those letters from the IRS, he wanted to act like they didn't exist. Finally, Dan turned to Optima Tax Relief, the leading tax resolution firm. A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau, they've resolved over $1 billion for their clients. Optima got me a settlement with the IRS. These people are really people-friendly. It was every bit of a new lease on life for me. The fast action and the great results made Dan's head spin. I felt like I was in a dream, but it's real, and I have paperwork to prove it. They got the job done, and life is good. For tax help you can trust, call Optima now for a free consultation. If you're worried about what's going to happen with the IRS, stop worrying. Make the call now. Call 800-375-2922. 800-375-2922. Optima Tax Relief. Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Guys, you know that new Untucked shirt you've been eyeing? Well, you can save on your favorite styles with the new winter clearance event going on right now at Untucket's 80-plus stores and Untucket.com. Untucket shirts were designed to be worn untucked. They fall at that just-right length so you can feel comfortable and look sharp. Save on our top button-downs, including wrinkle-free, performance, flannels, and more. Perfect for right now. So don't wait. Save on your favorite styles on clearance today at your nearest Untucket store or at Untucket.com. KFC's Colonel Sanders here. We all love sitting down to a home-cooked meal with family, but there's rarely enough hours in the day to do the cooking. So let me do the cooking for you. Well, not me personally, that's just a turn of phrase. Your KFC will do the actual cooking. The point is, let someone else do the home cooking for you. Come to KFC and pick up a $20 fill-up. That's eight pieces of chicken or 12 tenders and all the fixings to feed your family. Order ahead or use contactless delivery at kfc.com. Limited time only at participating locations. Only prices may vary. Tax and substitutions extra. Delivery service and additional fee supply. Ducks Radio AM 830. KLAA. We're back. I'm Bruce Cook, and it's the conversation this afternoon. We're visiting today with Dr. Brant Zawatsky from Hogue Hospital, and we're talking about COVID. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about so much more, actually. Dr. BJ, switching gears a little bit uh, and becoming a little bit more specific about the mental health aspects that we started to share our time together, share some ideas on how people that are suffering from extreme stress and depression that you have described, what kind of treatments can they get and where can they get it? Well, those are, those are great questions, Bruce. And, um, um, you know, we've, we've all been through a near death experience. The entire country has in a sense had a, a panic attack and been through a near-death experience and so one of the common aspects of, of having an experience like that whether you've been uh, uh, actually in, infected by COVID and suffered through it uh, or had a dear loved one um, even succumb to it but that is a major traumatic trigger for our uh, uh, mental health makeup uh, so uh, disorders of uh, sleep and anxiety of course and uh, uh, for others uh, depression as a result of, of all of that uh, is is aggravated those those potential conditions are aggravated if not brought on by by this uh, experience isolating at home our kids uh, in particular so there are uh, services available and there are clearly uh, hotlines that have been uh, used and in fact swamped during this time period that can help triage folks with urgent needs um, we at Hogue, through the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, have a program for adolescents that uh, uh, we've had even before COVID that helps them cope with the stresses, the routine normal stresses of uh, anxiety and uh, transitioning from uh, childhood to adulthood that we know so many of our kids go through, the, the pressures of academics. And so we call that our after-school program for resiliency education. That program used to have about 75, 80% capacity. And with COVID, it is now booked out through April. Uh, we, we can't accommodate sufficient uh, uh, numbers of kids in the 
that program, but there are others similar to it. I know Children's Hospital of Orange County has um, uh, has um, used our program as well, or the, the playbook for that program. And uh, the county mental health uh, services can direct folks to the appropriate pro- providers of mental health care. Um, at the individual level, um, one can one can look to self uh, self guided tools of mindfulness and uh, and uh, uh, other types of, uh, of resources that are available even online um, one of the one of the amazing things about COVID is it has led people to be resourceful and uh, and use tools uh, telehealth tools for with visits with their physicians but also uh, isolation is a really bad thing for seniors and so using the ability to uh, have communication online through uh, Zoom or uh, other tools that are out there uh, even FaceTime with uh, your Apple phone or Duo with your other types of phones uh, the ability to interface with others is very very critical and and people need to remember that voice, simply giving voice to their anxiety and fear is therapeutic. And whether that is with your loved ones or with someone that's a professional, uh, don't face these things on your own. They can become overwhelming. And do a lot of reality testing. So when, when you, you really think uh, that, that uh, you, you may catch and, and die from COVID, uh, look up the statistics. Uh, be resourceful and don't just listen to the news, but actually do some research on your own. It's readily acceptable and, uh, I'm sorry, accessible uh, to uh, reach some of the, some of the obvious uh, statistics. Uh, Look up the CDC website. Reassure yourself that if you're if if you're unlikely to uh, that you're unlikely to die from COVID if you get it. Don't 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 just make assumptions. Do some reality testing. Assuming bot- assuming Dr. BZ that you're in a family or a group situation, you're not living alone, and someone in your family or your group is showing signs of depression or fatigue. What do you tell people? how to distinguish the difference between someone simply being down as opposed to having serious depression problems that could leave or anxiety that could lead to much more dangerous behavior. Are there signs? So full disclosure, I'm not a psychiatrist. Uh, I do oversee our mental health team, including psychiatrists and psychologists. My dad happened to be one, and my wife was a clinical psychologist, so so I'm... uh, (laughs) I, it's like I slept in the quality inn last night. But, well, that's all but, right. You uh, gave uh, enough. You gave enough credit there to answer that question. The reality. The reality is this: once once your behavior becomes dysfunctional, if you're noticing your kids spending uh, every minute playing games or online and not interacting with you, something's wrong. Um, and uh, if if you're noticing someone's not eating, or staying up really late at night, not sleeping well, if you're noticing that they're withdrawing from the types of communications you would normally be having, those those are early danger signs of someone that's slipping into potentially a dysfunctional state. Um, Again, I didn't mention exercise. The huge value of exercise uh, uh, to assuage anxiety and depression. Um, exercise is, is if I could bottle exercise and um, have people take a pill, I'd make a fortune because it's the most effective treatment I know of for for uh, anxiety and for. Um, for depression, for mood disorders of various sorts. Exercise is tremendous. And so the importance of being outdoors in the fresh air, um, getting a walk or a run in or a bike, a bicycle uh, ride in, uh, cannot be discounted as a therapeutic tool. It is I tremendous. think I think all the gym owners that are closed would be very happy to hear this. Well, I just... <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I, I understand I, the stupidity of my I, remark, but... Just no, the my, same. My gym, my gym set up an outdoor space, and I've been frequenting it, and it's wonderful that they, they've been able to do that with social distancing. They have they have sterile, they have uh, spray that you, everybody uses to spray on the equipment before and after. So there are some gyms out there that have that capability, but unfortunately, again, our sometimes our authorities uh, take things a little bit too far, and 
Um, you, you know, I, I remember when uh, when our uh, when we were told to stay at home and not not go outside. And, and you know, I think that's that was counterproductive to those many people's uh, mental health that that really needs to 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 be able to breathe some fresh air. Well, it's and a so, function of it's a function of as you said, this process has been a learning experience, not just for doctors and medicine and science, but for government as well. Let me let me ask you about kids, uh, not only kids, but students of all ages that have missed this year of school. What is that effect going to be on them? And do you think it has been as dramatic, again, as the news has portrayed it to be? Are kids losing a year? Are they falling behind? Will they recover? And how will that affect them in the future? That, you know, that really is unpredictable. Suffice it to say that both the, uh, the UN, uh, the World Health Organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics have all voiced, and even the CDC towards uh, the summer, voiced strongly the need for kids to get back to school because we know the importance of learning on development. We know the importance of socialization on uh, mental health and the ability to mature the brain. So now one of the biggest detriments to, to our kids has been the isolation that they've been forced into. Uh, we know that at-home learning, the studies have shown that uh, at-home learning doesn't do the job as well as in-classroom learning. So all of that is a detriment that has yet to be accounted as far as its uh, long-term effects on our kids. And, for, and, and just... Uh, uh, so just imagine the number of kids that haven't had immunizations that they were supposed to get. Uh, I think uh, the uh, estimate from, uh, I'm trying to remember if it was uh, uh, UNICEF uh, or World Health Organization, uh, during the peak, 80% of our kids were not getting the immunizations they were supposed to get for other diseases. And yet kids have been uh, uh, shown to be somewhat less resistant, or I'm sorry, less susceptible to infection. And certainly uh, their risk of death from COVID is, uh, is much less than that of adults. So missing immunizations uh, is another factor um, that can be detrimental to kids on a physical level, but on a mental health and um, brain development level, uh, we need to get the kids back to school as soon as possible. And hopefully with these falling numbers that we're now seeing and, and the vaccine rollout, we will get to herd, uh, herd immunity that vaccines were aiming for, 70, 75% of people no longer susceptible by early summer. And next year we, we can have a normal school year. And we have to reassure our teachers that, uh, that they're safe and, and that the statistics are what they are. Um, because, uh, uh, frankly, uh, it's uh, our, our teachers are essential workers. If, if clinical folks like myself and nurses and doctors um, uh, are essential workers and our grocery uh, uh, store folks and our delivery people, teachers have an even more important role in society, shaping the brains and providing mental health to, to our future generations. And so we need to convince the teachers that schools are safe and that they are safe. And that, that that's a big job of education and, and the media that uh, I, I think still has yet to be uh, finalized. Let me take your comment back to healthcare workers, which are certainly intimate to your experience. Where do we stand? We hear so much so much every day about the impact on our healthcare workers. Where does it stand today in your view? Here locally in Orange County, I guess we should really speak specifically rather than nationally. What's going on? Are things okay? Well, so uh, it's interesting now that you raise that issue. Um, healthcare workers as a whole, even before COVID, have stressful lives. Um, just the suicide rates amongst physicians are double those of most uh, professions like law and architecture and others. So doctors and nurses, uh, the, the mental health aspects uh, of uh, healthcare workers um, start out at, at a disadvantage, if, 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 I, if, uh, if you will, because of the stresses of their jobs. Uh, these are folks that, uh, particularly during COVID, work 
Some of them have been working double shifts. Um, uh, physicians don't have eight-hour-a-day shifts. Uh, uh, they, their patients call on them uh, after hours. So, so the stresses of uh, uh, specifically healthcare workers are somewhat different. And I don't mean to try be uh, to try to be self-serving in, in these uh, in these remarks. It is just is what it is. They've signed up for that. So, so um, part of the part of the part of the deal, if you will, uh, is uh, the, these extra stressful uh, work situations. With COVID, um, there's been a tremendous addition uh, to the stresses, particularly in very frontline workers in the intensive care units, the emergency rooms that have been dealing with all of these tragic uh, deaths that COVID has brought on. And again, I don't mean to make light of what I said earlier. The, the people that are do get sick and do come to the hospital um, are very, very sick. Some very young people have come, uh, as well as the seniors that prematurely are succumbing to COVID. So all of that takes a lot of uh, 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 takes uh, takes a uh, puts a lot of burden on on our frontline workers. Uh, what I'm particularly uh, happy to to tell you is that at Hulk, for instance, we did a study of our healthcare workers over the summer to see how many of them actually caught COVID by measuring their antibodies. And we found that our healthcare workers, through the solid education that our uh, team provided, having seen the first patient, COVID patient in Southern California at one of our hospitals, our hospital in Irvine, you know, we were prepared from January 29th on for this. And so educating the workforce about safety, about the masks, the hand washing, about uh, doing all of that, even when going home, uh, led us to a, a much lower rate of exposure to COVID in our healthcare workers than the general um, population of Orange County. And we actually published uh, that data uh, recently. So uh, our healthcare workforce has been safer than the community in its practices, and our hospital has been safer uh, than many venues in the community because of the diligent attention, everyone from our environmental workers who clean the rooms and the surfaces on a constant basis to the physicians and the nurses uh, uh, have uh, undertaken. So um, that all said, it is still uh, it is still aggravating to pe see people flaunting uh, the common sense health care uh, admonitions of wearing masks and washing hands until this pandemic is over. We're getting there soon. Uh, so let's let's keep it up. Let's let's just uh, maintain the, the individual responsibilities that that uh, we have learned are important to keep the societal impact of COVID uh, down to a level where our healthcare workforce, which is already strained, uh, can uh, breathe a, a, a sigh of relief. We're starting to get a catch our breath a little bit with these numbers going down. They've been going down steadily. Um, both at our hospital and Orange County in general for the last, ever since January 7th, I think, was the peak. And here it is, uh, January 24th. So it's not just a blip. This is a definite trend in the numbers going down. Because Which of is great, 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 great to hear. Let yeah. me stop you because we have to take our second break. There's still so much to talk about. I'm going to need you to stay on the show for another four hours, Dr. BZ, but I'll spare you that. Uh, stay with me. I'm going to take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Bruce Cook. I'm, I'm with Dr. BZ from Hogue talking about COVID and mental health. And we've got some good news to share. So don't go away. Ducks Radio AM 830 KLAA. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News & World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 
516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. Ducks Radio, AM 830, KLAA. And we're back. I'm Bruce Cook. This is The Conversation, live on radio. Our guest today, Dr. BZ, Brant Zawatsky from Hogue. Dr. BZ, let me switch gears for one second. Our, our time is short. Talk to me about the rise in domestic violence as a result of COVID and its impact on mental health, and how much does substance abuse play, and how does this work into your practice at Hogue? Well, unfortunately, studies have shown uh, that police calls for domestic violence have um, risen considerably during COVID, and that domestic violence includes um, spousal violence as well as children who are subjected to violence, and unfortunately, uh, addiction issues fuel uh, fuel that so uh, all of that is uh, some of the detriments that uh, COVID has produced with the additional mental stresses and isolation at home of uh, individuals uh, the way uh, the only way we can deal with it at Hogue unfortunately is provide the services on an emergency basis when when those folks end up in our emergency room and make sure that uh, those issues are addressed uh, um, both uh, physically, mentally, in, in once we see the individuals, and then subsequently connect the individuals to the appropriate services um, in uh, in our uh, society, in, in our care services uh, on an outpatient basis. Um, can these instances can these instances ever be reduced until the economy comes back and people's insecurity about everything from food to housing to job? go away to a certain extent can it ever get better well uh, the the, uh, the the economic consequences uh, that uh, lead people to the frustrations to where they break and and uh, become physically even verbally but especially physically abusive uh, that will take time that'll take uh, providing the necessary support from governmental agencies to, to these folks who uh, who are so stressed out um, and also I think outreach from uh, from community social services and uh, uh, and uh, mental health services that are so lacking and so rec recognizing hopefully the new administration will be more attuned to to the needs of uh, people in the community around these mental health and social issues the social determinants of health as we call it um, because they are uh, truly determinants of health, and we kind of say social because it's the society, but healthcare uh, organizations like uh, Hogue are striving to develop those uh, capabilities. We we are creating an at-home uh, service, uh, for instance, at Hogue, uh, Hogue at Home, that uh, will provide uh, home services, including um, uh, linkage to. Uh, folks with mental health and cognitive issues uh, uh, with this new endeavor. So we all have to take some responsibility for that. And even as individuals outside of the healthcare field, uh, uh, watch for our neighbors and, and support our neighbors in this because our neighbors uh, certainly are there with mental health needs and uh, observing that and being supportive as a, as a member of a community uh, neighborhood is, is part of the solution. In decades or generations past, and maybe I'm waxing nostalgic about something I really don't know because I didn't live it, it seems like people under horrible stress, war, famine, disease, 
couples, families, they manage to they manage to hold it together better. Have we become weaker as a society? Have we become more prone to falling apart, to not being able to deal with the stress of life and, and it affecting our mental health? Well, you're raising some very philosophical issues, Bruce. Let me just make one observation. Um, social media uh, and the, uh, the magnification that social media provides to some of these concerns, um, uh, the amplification, the magnification, it, it serves, it can be a, 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 a useful and productive uh, medium, but on the other hand, um, you know, if you if you look simply at the statistics of mental health disorders in kids, and correlated in time to when those started rising, there's a remarkable association, not necessarily causation. I'm just going to say association of when the social media became a thing, when Facebook came on, when uh, when when you know, the easy access to iPhones and communication through social media arose. Uh, the the fact that our kids are seeing false uh, personalities online uh, and and being envious of things that people put online that they themselves don't experience, even though those those things are not as real. That that I think has led a number of experts and authorities to conclude that there may be more than just an assos- assos- sorry, association. Uh, between the rise of social media and the aggravation of mental health conditions in society, but actually uh, some authoritative uh, articles have been written on the possible causation. I say with no authority that it is absolutely, absolutely true, and it will continue to play out uh, in months, years, decades perhaps to come. We have to get a hold of this, and I don't have the answer by any means. It's easy to say government should should step in, but that's part of the problem Right now, social media, as a private as private companies, they have no control. Do we want government to have control? Should we have anybody to have control? Freedom of speech is becoming probably the biggest question of our of our future generation. What is proper and what is not proper? Well, I won't delve into those issues. But, no, I know uh, that's I a whole other show. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to make you go there. But I, I just yeah. had to had to express uh, a little bit of frustration because you're absolutely right. It is a I, factor. I, I agree with you that a national conversation on free speech and what is and what isn't uh, productive free speech uh, is, is something that should should happen and hopefully will happen in a less politicized climate with with the change of administrations it's certainly the past administration um, and the polarization with media has led to very questionable uh, concepts around uh, uh, what what is politically correct to say what isn't politically correct to say that shouldn't even be in the language politically correct i, I just you're I so right your responsible, quote responsible communication is what we're after your quote earlier in our broadcast together from f scott fitzgerald about the intelligent mind being able to candle two opposite uh, opinions or subjects is so so true and rare we need to we need to find that and foster it listen I, we're running out of time. I have to take a quick third break. When we come back, I want you to share a little bit about what you think the long-term of mental effects are going to be for people that are dealing with COVID now. What's going to happen to them in a year or two? I know it's an evolving science. You don't have the all the answers, but give us a little hint as we close our broadcast time together. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook with Dr. BZ from Hogue, and stay with me for the final comments. Ducks Radio, AMA 30, KLAA. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash sign help. 
Coping 19, brought to you by CDC and the Ad Council. If you're feeling increasingly lonely right now, you're not alone. It's totally normal. Even though we may not be able to get together in person, connecting virtually with friends and family still gives you a chance to interact with people and may help raise your spirits. Join a virtual book club, set up group text chats, or online video coffee breaks with coworkers. Find more self-care and coping tips at coping-19.org. Ducks Radio, AMA 30. Hey, LAA. And welcome back for the final segment of our time together on the conversation tonight. Dr. BZ, what does the future hold? What are the long-term effects in your crystal ball for people who have suffered this stress and anxiety? Well, short-term effects, uh, we know uh, PTSD produces uh, levels of anxiety that are higher than normal. And so we're going to be uh, watchful. We need to be watchful to see how easily triggered we are, on, uh, how, how we, the fight-or-flight reflex that happens with uh, uh, heightened anxiety uh, is triggered more readily in people who have uh, had the experience that all of us have had. So um, just just realizing that that's the case is part of the solution. Um, having the insight that we're all now tweaked a little bit by this experience and being more understanding of each other, more generous with each other, um, and, and uh, also with ourselves, being more forgiving of ourselves for, for doing stupid things, for forgetting things, because that is part of the uh, anxiety that uh, PTSD produces. And this is, this is a true PTSD triggering uh, event. Even though we may not have physically suffered ourselves, uh, we've, we've suffered from uh, the, the osmosis of, of others around us and the media constantly uh, telling us about that. So that's one thing. The, the second thing I think is particularly important for seniors. Uh, um, uh, the seniors have a uh, issue with cognition that uh, that isolation can aggravate significantly. And so uh, engaging as seniors, and I'm one, so I speak uh, as, as, uh, as one that could be affected, uh, understanding that our ability to, to um, communicate is so critical and engage in new activities is so critical to us, not having been able to do that for almost a year now, um, we, we need to bounce back. We need to, we need to realize that we need to reinvigorate uh, ourselves in regards of our social functions, uh, even if it's by uh, long distance uh, with uh, using the good parts of social media, uh, connecting back with our kids. Uh, you know, uh, it's so critical. So many parents and grandparents have been um, not able to communicate with their kids and grandkids. We need to reestablish that as soon as possible and, and not let the overwhelming, unrealistic fear um, uh, get, uh, get in the way of, uh, of what normal life was like. We forget, you know, that, that in just in 2018, 60, 70,000 people died from a severe flu pandemic, um, and we handled it uh, without the focus and attention. We had tents outside of our hospital then, too. So, so we've been through this. We've got this. We know how to handle it. It's been tremendously amplified because of the cumulative numbers due to this highly, highly infectious organism. But the cumulative numbers uh, are receding, and at the individual level, we have to reassure ourselves that we face risks every day uh, when we drive our cars when we fly in airplanes when you know those risks well we're all at some point unfortunately going to die uh, and we have to live our lives in, in a way that is productive that is inspiring uh, that that has purpose and unfortunately for too many of us COVID has taken that away we need to reestablish that you've basically said it but let me ask you this could you share in a sentence or two one or two of the best lessons learned from this whole year-long experience that might apply to anybody that's listening tonight. Well, I think one of the one of the lessons learned is that um, healthcare is critical to our society, and uh, and understanding the appropriate utilization of healthcare and reinforcing it is critical. Um, one example we've learned is that, uh, you know, just in time, uh, 
run, uh, inventory works well for Amazon and businesses, but just-in-time healthcare um, it falls apart when you have a crisis like a pandemic. We need to have just-in-case resources in healthcare, and so that's one. Uh, perhaps self-serving aspect of what we've learned here. Um, but the other thing I think we've learned, and, and by the way, that goes to preparation at the, at the national level for emergencies like uh, pandemics. Uh, and I, many people have said that much more eloquently than I have, um, you know, the Bill Gateses of the world, et cetera. We must pay attention to just-in-case healthcare supplies and eventualities and, and, and not uh, run healthcare the way we run traditional businesses and provide for that in our budgeting in our and in our preparations and also the value of hospital facilities the value of emergency rooms and intensive care units you know too much attention is shifted towards a let's move everything out of the hospital and into into the into the community well you can't do that with severe illnesses like pandemics and particularly with an aging population so we have to shift our reimbursement for healthcare priorities to to uh, to also recognize the need for um, for uh, high-end uh, even expensive resources uh, uh, in order to provide the best possible care when when eventualities like this happen great and, I have uh, to let me stop you there doctor as we are out of time I think you've given so much insight to so many of these issues tonight and I, I'm very grateful for you coming on the air I hope you'll come back again to share these stories and thoughts on other subjects dealing with the Neuroscience Center at Hogue and your work. And let me just say to you and to everyone listening, listen to this advice, people. Wear the mask and listen to what he said about the dangers of COVID and what's important in society and how to get back to normal. Dr. BZ, thank you so much. My privilege. Thank you for having me. I yeah. appreciate it. And uh, be safe. Be safe, everybody listening. Likewise. I'm Bruce Cook saying thank you for listening. Please be safe and come back again next week on Angels Radio at 3 o'clock. You've been listening to The Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear The Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>